You got to know what your employees are talking about, what they're asking for. And sometimes you just need to know what they need before they even know it. Just mm. kind of be paying attention to trends and what's happening and then understanding if those trends then will work with your organization or their needs are something that are needed by all or just some. I think that's important. You got to be a remover of speed bumps. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest on this episode is Danielle Deliver. She's dedicated to the employee experience, making sure that everyone who works with her company is having that exact workplace reality that they envisioned. Danielle Delibero, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. I really appreciate you coming on. I love so many things about you. And one thing <laughs> in particular, or I should say many things in particular, again, is just how you just embrace things. Like, I, you know, I reached out to you yesterday about yes. coming uh, about coming on the short show. notice Adam <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean I wasn't busy I guess <laughs> <laughs> and most people when I'm talking to them about being on the show they'll need they'll ask for like a week or two to prepare or something and one of the many things that you've got not just how you embrace things but your your quick wit that sense of adventure and I guess that's probably uh, one of the many things that have led to the success and being where you are today Thanks. I think so. But you know, what's interesting is it's, it's always hard to hear things about yourself, especially if you have a different perception of yourself. I, I usually think I'm a little bit more conservative. I think I'm a little bit less of a risk taker. And maybe that's just more of my personal life. But when it comes to my professional life, which is the two should be congruent, but perhaps they are a little bit different. Um, you know, I really, I, I, it's interesting to hear that I'm considered a risk taker <laughs> and, and sort of someone who jumps right in. Um, I'm sure if you ask my, my parents, they would not describe me that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. So I'd love to let the audience get a better sense for who you are. Sure. So before we kind of jump in to the, I guess, professional side, if you will, air quotes, yeah. let's let everybody get to know you a little bit as a person. So mm. quickly, I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. I'd love some <laughs> rapid fire answers. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Introvert, extrovert, or you fall in between kind of what, what people call a centrovert or an ambivert? I think I'm an ambivert. I think it's situational. Myers-Briggs will tell you differently. It'll put me on the extroverted side, but I think that it's situational for me. So I will, I will stick with, although it's contrary to what the 
the paper say, I'm going to go with ambivert. All right. Okay. You know what? Which I don't know. So talking about Myers Briggs, mm-hmm. that's been around for gosh, I don't even know how long—a <laughs> r- really long time. Ambivert, centrovert might not have even been on their radar at the time. They weren't. They weren't. I, and you know what's interesting is I think obviously the book Quiet was really important to bring that forward to a lot of people to talk about um, introverts and, and make sure that there wasn't this thought that introverts are shy. It's not that they're shy. There's just where do you get your power source from and how do you recharge? And do you recharge, you know, in moments of solitude or do you recharge with that group of people around you? And it's really kind of a different mindset. And so I think, again, I'm not a a psychologist. I'm not a behavioral psychologist and and don't have my degree in that. But that's why I said, I think it's situational. There are definitely moments where you need to be the extrovert. You turn that on. and, And when you want to sort of have that moment and solitude, you can be that person. Not every situation requires the same response. Yeah. I, th- I think where you, where you really nailed it is that most people are such a misconception with what an introvert and an extrovert is. So, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's true because it's, again, it's where you get your energy from. And with my business, in terms of like educating people on how to build these relationships, there's, again, this major false conception about the extrovert introvert. And ironically enough, it's introverts that are actually better networkers and relationship builders because mm-hmm. You're the ones that are those who are introverts are the ones that are typically a little more thoughtful in their conversations. They're the ones that are more, they're going to process that conversation. They're going to think about it. So, and they're going to be typically better conversationalists. So it's just a matter of, like you said, getting their energy. It has nothing to do with working, work in a room necessarily. Right. Yeah. And usually it's about quality over quantity, right? Where there's that misconception also for extroverts that they are just social butterflies and it's superficial and they'll bounce around and they're card collectors, which that's not the case either. But I think there's that misconception about that group too, where um, it's not serious and there won't be a deep connection where really, if you talk to anybody, I just think at the core of who we all are, right? We're humans and we need that human connection. And whether you have five core people in your life or you have 50 core people in your life, you hope that you are um, the right person to those people and that they are the right people back to you. And I guess it doesn't really matter what the number is. Gotcha. Well, that's a good sound bite. Oh. <laughs> <I like that. laughs> what are you doing to keep yourself sharp, whether it's uh, physically or mentally? Yeah. It's funny. I had this fear you would ask me this question. And then I thought, oh, it's a podcast. No one can see me. So physically sharp is not really my thing these days. But <laughs> mentally sharp, um, I got to tell you about a year ago, I signed up for and participated in a mindfulness class. It was a four week program where we focused on mindfulness and focused on how to identify the things that were important, how to identify the things that cause us stress, how to notice when we might turn into a fight or flight or, you know, a faint or freeze moment in our lives and how to start to recognize those before they manifested into physical, um, any type of physical attribute to our bodies. And, um, I remember people used to say to me, oh, I do this and it was a lifesaver. I did this and it was a game changer. And now I've become that person where I really just feel like that mindfulness course that I took, it really was the game changer for me. It allowed me to start to recognize the things that caused me, my heart to race faster, that caused me to recognize the difference between anxiety versus stress versus anticipation versus excitement and know the difference of those feelings. And so I would say, just continuing to 
remember what I learned in those workshops has been really helpful for me and has helped me in my mental capacity, my mental, physical sharpness that I, I need to have on a daily basis. Just right. not even at work, but at home too. So I wonder if the universe is speaking to me. Okay. Because, uh, well, <laughs> I, well you, I, I've never been called the universe before. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, I was actually invited this morning to a mindfulness group. It's a 21 day mindfulness challenge that uh, Deepak yeah. Chopra yeah. put together. So it's really interesting that you bring that up. And it, I know other people that have, they swear by this. And I know you always love a good nugget. And even if you could just take one nugget out of there, what a difference that makes for you. Not everything works for everyone. And so you have to go with an open mind. You hope that you're seeking to understand and you have this ability to just be present and listen and know that what works for one doesn't work for another. And maybe all you get is one little soundbite out of it or the whole thing is life-changing. But the fact is, if you can go in with an open mind, I almost feel like I can say, I guarantee you, you will come out with at least one little thing that you say, oh, would have been good to know that 10 years ago. It would have been good to know that my whole life. It would have been good to know that as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just really been helpful. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of that. And then again, that's going to spill over into the physical. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, they're, they're, that's they're exactly right. Yeah, the trick is to catch something before it starts to manifest into some sort of physical ailment. Yeah. So let me ask you something. Do you have any habit? Well, we all have habits, but you know, if, you, <laughs> if you'd be kind enough to, to share a habit that you have, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, like a creature of habits. So I don't know if it's a habit or just more of a lifestyle, but I am someone who lives by my calendar. So if it's not on the calendar, it might as well not exist. And again, that's at home and work. So, you know, I've got the work calendar. We've got the shared family calendar. We've got calendar. We're still the old school calendar on the fridge, calendars on our phones. There's calendars really everywhere um, because what we want to make sure is that we don't want to miss out on the important things. So making sure that we get those down and, and we're present for those events or those happenings, we, we don't want to miss those. And two, I think life gets complicated, right? You have people who, multiple people working in a household, you've got activities going on with your family, you've got extended family, you've got friends, you work events, I, I travel a bit for work. So if you don't have it on the calendar, there it can cause unnecessary stress and unnecessary miscommunication in a house or at work. And so I think that living and dying by that calendar, now, don't get me wrong, if it's not on the calendar, it's not there. That's a really hard one to explain when someone's like, where were you? And you're like, well, it was on my calendar. <laughs> you can't really use that as an excuse either. So if you're going to say that, you really have to then nurture that calendar and build mm -hmm. in focus time and build in space and build in time for yourself too. And to get in that meditation. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm an organizational uh freak too. Mm. <laughs> Not calling you a no, freak. No, but I've, I've been diagnosed, I'm sure, by somebody about being a little obsessive about it. And I'll take it. If, if being organized is my flaw, I guess I can have worse flaws. Ain't that the truth? So if you don't mind, I'd love to transition into uh, sure. the professional now. And you know, something that's really interesting, and I'd love to get your perspective, and hopefully you can answer this question. So I know what you do and by all accounts, you are a CHRO, yet your title is head or vice president of people and culture. Can you share? I mean, am I, am I wrong or is there any kind of story behind that? No, I think there's a great story and I'm, I'm happy to share. I'm 
I think that I want, and I want to be so thoughtful to my colleagues who are CHROs and CPOs and have earned that right to get to that pinnacle of their careers. I think that HR has transformed over the decades and many years. And I think that when we start to talk about the transition of HR, there are people who still are working these days who remember when it was called personnel. And it was someone who you know, filed paperwork and, and kept your employee record. And it was hard files. And then it became human resources because our greatest resource were our people. And so that's how HR came to be. I worked somewhere once where we were called human capital management. And so our people were our capital. And so the names continue to change. People operations is, is very popular. And then people and culture is, is where I am now. And so when I joined Inova, it was really important to our CEO as, as well as to me that the title be people and culture, not HR and not in any disrespect to HR, but this role, we are still a, a small enough business where it isn't so large where we have segmented groups where there is an HR team who's focused on your tra traditional of comp and benefits and learning and recruiting. And then we have another group who's responsible for experience and inclusion and well-being. This really was both. And so it was important to make sure that the community of Inova knew that when I was brought on, that it was to not necessarily bring sort of order to chaos, if you will, and, and be the place where you go to HR when there's a problem or there's a policy that needs to be written or career progression, but really for the well-being of the employee population and the team and the culture. So again, it's not in any way to take away from the amazing work that we're doing on my team in the HR space, but there's also this sort of progressive approach of bringing in all the other aspects that have to do with our people to make sure that they know that it's really about their well-being too. That's awesome. And I think that yeah. you're, you're a good fit for that, you know, for that culture. You know, that. Yeah, it, it, it's been fun. I, I joined um, back in September and it has been a heck of a ride. So I'm really excited about being part of this business. Wow. And do you mind sharing what your background was previously? Because you, you also do not have the traditional background. And uh, I think that speaks to kind of who you are. And this is a really apropos where you are sitting today. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting how we grow in HR. We have that choice, right? We all join HR at some point in our lives and we either come in as think as a generalist and we focus on human resources or behavior psychology or some aspect of industrial labor relations in our studies and decide that we want to get into human resources. And we come in through that avenue or we come in through different avenues. We come in through sort of the specialist area. And that was me. I came in more through the specialist side of things where I was in recruiting and talent acquisition. I had, I had spent about a year working with a learning development team and then had the opportunity to really um, jump in with our talent acquisition team at the company and, and then fell in love with it. Really felt like that was my niche. I had found a home and that was where I was you know, going to stay and um, built a career out of talent acquisition and spent Am I allowed to say how many years? You know, a, a lot uh, of years in talent acquisition, starting as a campus recruiter to being a, uh, an experienced hire recruiting to then being recruiting manager, and then having the opportunity to continue to raise my hand and, and be partners to other members of the HR team. So not necessarily just heads down buried in the world of recruiting, but 
constantly working with my partners in learning and development because, you know, I started there. So really understanding the handoffs and how did we bring learning and development into talent acquisition and then really talking to my colleagues in comp and benefits and let's make sure we understand salaries and how we make great offers and how we stay competitive. And so having the opportunity to work with my partners throughout HR gave me a better understanding of all of their roles and responsibilities. I would not call myself an expert in any one of those other things. There are people who dedicate their career to doing those things, but growing up in talent acquisition, you spend such a great amount of time telling the company's story, living the company's vision, and not necessarily just selling it, but understanding the right person that the company is for and the right company for for each candidate. And so you spend a lot of time just working with people and understanding their needs and, and their wants. And it is rare for someone in talent acquisition to move into uh, the role I'm in now to oversee people and culture for an organization. But I think that the opportunities I've had along the way to spend time with my colleagues in HR and jump into some projects that were not TAs or talent acquisition specific gave me at least a little bit of a generalist approach without ever being a, a true generalist. I heard something a few times kind of come up, whether you said it directly or indirectly, but it was about culture, obviously so important. How are you defining an employee experience? Oh, yeah. So an employee experience, it's where engagement and enablement meet each other. So it's not just, I think people start to think, oh, that's the fun committee at work, right? They're going to throw a party and look, everybody had this great experience. But that's not what defines someone's experience. It's where their digital and their physical space come together. And creating a positive work environment is one thing, but you also have to make sure that the work is meaningful and that the tools are there for your employees to be successful. And bringing those two together is really what starts to have loyalty and employees who feel a higher sense of engagement or a higher sense of pride about where they work or the work that they're doing. And then that resonates the story that leads to people, leads to retention. It leads to a great alumni network. So it's this really nice, it's the employee's journey. I think in talent acquisition, and and, and you know this well, it's all about the candidate experience, right? How good that they feel about the organization, how they felt about being a candidate, the respect they, they received, where they heard, and were they, were they treated well during that whole process? You can't do all that as a candidate and then, you know, aha, gotcha. And then have them come work at a company and be like, well, but we don't care about you once you're an employee. Uh, right? It has to be that continuation of if you've had a great candidate experience, how do we then continue that from the moment you sign your offer letter to of having a great onboarding experience, the journey of your life cycle through being an employee and then even your offboarding and, and your exit, how, how good was that? And, and does that let you go off and, and do something amazing next and, and remember fondly your experience with our organization and tell our story as, as we continue to move forward? Wow. So how do you go about doing that? Because you're right. And it's something that most people really overlook. So how, <laughs> yeah. <what are> things- <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot. You got to listen. And that's a big one, right? You got to know what your employees are talking about, what they're asking for. And sometimes you just need to know what they need before they even know it. Just Mm. kind of be paying attention to trends and what's happening. And then understanding if those trends then will work with your organization or their needs are something that are needed by all or just some. I think that's important. You got to be a remover of speed bumps. If your technology at home is better than your technology at work, 
it's going to be really hard to convince somebody to come to work every day. You don't want someone to have like the fastest internet at home or this great new app or, or program or tool that they're using at home. And then you come to work and say, okay, well, I really need you to come and, and use this now. And it's pretty antiquated or archaic and they have to relearn something that's actually not as good for them to get their work done. And I think the last thing you have to do is really be the promoter. You got to share the vision. You got to connect people. You got to tell the story. You really just got to be that person who is constantly understanding what's going on in the company, telling that story. And that comes with having really great partners, partners in marketing, partners in employee resource groups, partners in sales, partners in the traditional HR teams, if you will, if, if it's not in, if culture is not in your, your HR team. So in order to do this, I mean, I think this is another one of your superpowers to kind of build these relationships with some of these partners that you're talking about. How have you gone about or what advice do you have to others that might be following in your footsteps in terms of building and solidifying these kinds of relationships? So, well, for right now, right, Innova is not a huge company. We're about 350 people. I've worked at large organizations with the tens of thousands of employees. And then I've worked at even smaller organizations where I reported directly to the owner. And so this midsize in, in the middle here is a really great place to be for me right now in my career. And what I would say is it's always overwhelming when you're at a smaller organization and you're reading about all the big companies and what they're doing. And all you think about is, oh, I would love to do that. And that would be great for us. And your employees are seeing what their friends and family and the news is sharing about what they're doing. And they're pumping ideas that you, we should be doing this and we should be doing this. And sometimes you're a one person show. And of course you'd love to do everything, but you can't. And so I think there's this mindset around I need to have a lot of people and I need to have a lot of money to create a good employee experience. And I, I just don't think that's true. I think that the three things that I talked about before, you know, being a good listener, removing some of those speed bumps and being a good promoter of the, of the company's vision and, and story, those don't cost money, right? Mm. Listening is free. Telling a story is free. And where possible, removing some speed bumps, that could or could not be. Depends on what the speed bump is. But those don't cost money. It's the little things and, and then it's the big things. And you know what works for your people. Know your budget. If you can have a big summer party for your employees, then you know, yeah, companies are doing that. They're having retreats and everybody's being flown in and they're doing these big events. And that's great. That, that's a different budget. If yours is simply sending handwritten birthday cards to your employees, that's a very different budget. And that changes the game. And even sometimes it's, did you send them an email? on their work anniversary saying, we're glad you're still here. Again, free. So you've got this really, this big spectrum of where you can spend your time and your money to do things that make people feel like they belong to your organization and they feel valued. That's awesome. I love that nimbleness as well. And it's also just bringing it back old school. <laughs> yeah. Know, the, like, the who doesn't love to get a note saying like, we're happy anniversary. We're glad you're here. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, God, I, I wish I could remember who it was, but there was a guy that made headlines. He's a CEO and he's, he's, I think it's like a couple thousand people in his company. And he, on their anniversary, their work anniversary, he writes them a personal card. So everybody gets a card from the CEO. I mean, essentially his full-time job is just writing a card. 
you know, which, yeah. is, which is, that's what his role has become. Just kind of thanking them for being a part and helping the vision. And, uh, I forgot what their retention rate, but it's like off the, it's extremely high. And yeah, you, it, you feel valued. I still have the letter. I, I received a handwritten letter in one of my first jobs, probably had to be 21 years old, 22 years old. And it was my first promotion, if you will, not my first job, but my, the first time I had been promoted. And a very senior person in the company, they were probably two, three layers above me, left a handwritten card on my, on my desk that said, congratulations. And I still have that card. Wow. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Case in point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could go back in time and give yourself <laughs> some advice, what would it be? So future me going back. Yes. Um, yeah. I think I would have, I would tell myself to learn a second language. For me, I did the standard language that you had to do in school just to graduate and got through that. And then at university, I actually focused my languages on, I studied sign language. And so I did many years of, of sign language and um, really grateful for that. It really just opened my mind and my, my whole perspective to a completely different culture as well of way of communicating. But now as I think and, and the the opportunities I've had to travel internationally and, and even had the opportunity to do a short-term assignment and live internationally, it would have been so helpful for me. And I think I would have had a greater sense of comfort. And I think that those around me in those countries would have had a greater sense of comfort knowing that I had the ability to speak their language or at least have the foundations to do it. So you're never too old to learn a language. I did just download an app to try to, to, try to learn Portuguese. Uh, it is not going well. So for anyone listening to this who speaks Portuguese, please don't call me and start speaking to me. It is not going well, but I am not going to give up. I am going to keep trying. And um, please forgive me if I say something wrong in the future, if you meet me along the way. <laughs> that is awesome. Wait, so uh, two things actually on that point. So mm -hmm. I, the, the sign language, that's great. So what we did, and I don't think we're the only ones that did this, but when our kids were growing up, we were kind of just teaching them basic sign language as a way to communicate before we yeah, we did the same of, thing. Yeah, it was, and it, was it, was great. A, it was great. It was so, I that is like the best parenting advice. <laughs> you're, you're, like, no one wants parenting advice. So let's put that out there. First of all, <laughs> no one wants it. But you know, if you're listening, uh, teaching an infant and a, and a baby sign language, it really does help reduce the amount of tears when someone wants more, or they're done, or you know, the difference between water and milk or food. Again, that was a huge, huge benefit, I think, during those first few years. Oh yeah. Well, in the tears, I thought you were going to talk about from the parent standpoint. Oh yeah. Both, both, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Hey, so I got one more question before sure. I let you go. What's in the spirit of advice? Did you ever receive, or was there one nugget of advice that someone gave you that really stands out? Am I allowed to give you three? I'll take them. I'll take them. Okay. All right. Let me give you three. So we had a motto in our house growing up it was you get up, you dress up and you show up. Mm. And um, you don't always want to do it. You don't always want to go where you need to be, but you do it and you go and, and you just, you never know what's going to come out of that opportunity. So get up, dress up and show up the way you feel about going to school every day, the way you feel about going to work every day. If you're invited to a party, go. It, it means a lot to the person who's waiting for you on the other side. So I would say that was really great advice and one that I now hear myself repeating. And there are days where I just say to myself when, you know, you just don't want to get out of bed and you go, no, I got to get up. I got to dress up and I got to show up. And it's not just about me. It's about everyone else too. 
So that's great advice. I think I received just growing up through my childhood and teenage years and then took into adulthood. One of the first jobs I ever had, someone once told me I should own two umbrellas. So I should keep one at the office and one at home because you never know when it's going to rain and you never want to be ill prepared. So I have taken that to heart and I do, well, I know I definitely own more than two now, but I absolutely always have one umbrella in the office and I always have one at home and am and prepared. So the own two umbrellas has been a good one for me as well. And I usually pass that on to new and recent college grads who are joining an organization where they're like, do you have any advice? I'm like, yep, buy two umbrellas. So I would say do that. And then I would say the last piece of advice that I got, which I hope I'm not saying, but I'm actually living. And that is, it doesn't really matter how far you go unless you take someone along with you. And so it was really reach your hand out and bring somebody along. I don't want to make this a, a, a gender topic, but again, it was really told to me as a woman leader and as a female leader to, there is another woman that is waiting to rise and, and succeed. And you can bring that person along. And even if it's something as giving them an opportunity or, or introducing them to someone and using your networks or, or even just bringing them into your own network so that they have that opportunity to be part of it, that will make all the difference to that person. And then hopefully they remember how they felt and they do the same thing. And, th- and that'll just continue to help bring people along. So I hope I don't just say that one. I hope that one's just more something I do. Oh my God, those are fantastic. But um, I got to tell you, I want to piggyback the last one that you said uh, in terms of bringing somebody along. I love mm-hmm. the, uh, there's a very famous Hollywood saying. It's my understanding. Jack Lemon is the person that came up with this first, but who knows? I've heard multiple claims to fame on this. The saying goes that if you are fortunate enough to make it to the penthouse, don't forget to send the elevator back down. That's Uh, great. Yeah. I absolutely love that. And it's essentially what you're saying. You know, it's it's the same thing just said differently. And my God, the get up, dress up, show up. Oh, that is a golden nugget. I'm sure someone really wise said that many, many, many years ago, and it has transformed over the years, and the game of telephone has changed it around. I've even heard it say, you know, get up, dress up, show up, and never, ever give up. Um, But for us, it was just just show up. It it wasn't about giving up. It was, you know, just be there, be present, and, and see what comes. I'm thinking, you know, you've motivated me about, you know, going in on my daughter's walls and just writing it, like handwriting it because, I mean, it's, it's just, it's worth it. It's worth that. Like just to wake up and see that every day or to have that embedded in your mind. And if uh, the worst case scenario is they're turning out like you, I'm in. Oh, sweet. You got great kids. Yeah. Awesome. Danielle, I I Mm -hmm. can't thank you enough, uh, not just for coming on, but uh, also the impromptu nature. I mean, uh, you are a natural. I really, I I think there's so much that's come out of this conversation. So many nuggets. Um, I'm sitting here just writing on my pad, like quotes and takeaways of all these things that you've said and my hand's starting to cramp. So uh, this was fun. (laughs) I guess there's really one more question before I let you oh. go. How long until you start your own podcast? You had, those are some good questions. Oh, no. You know, I just told you I started in talent acquisition. I got questions that I could go on forever about. <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed this. this. This is your thing, Adam. And I'm, I'm grateful that you called me. I'm grateful that you asked. And I'm grateful that you're doing this because there's so many great people out there doing such interesting things. And us sharing them with each other is, is really how we all just get better. So thanks for doing this. That's great. And I, I will, one last thing before I let you go. It's, I've been having a blast with this. And, and to your point, it's really interesting how this world of HR has developed and how much there is 
to it, to each role, to a lot of things that are, that are just being taken for granted by a lot of businesses. Like for the people that are part of, they don't understand this this culture, you know, that it, it's being created. It's it's purposeful, whether it's your benefits, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's it's right. the system that's processing all of these things, getting paid, finding your other peers, identifying those. I mean, it's, there's just so much that goes into this. So again, thank you for participating. This has been a lot of fun. I know there's tons of nuggets that people are going to get with this. So uh, thank you for being you. Well, thanks, Adam. And we'll talk soon. Cheers. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up-to-date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.